1: So, to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at slash switch.
2: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoted for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: Hi, this is Zivy Owens, and you're listening to the award winning podcast Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And speaking of books, I have two of my own books coming out this spring and summer. Princess Charming is a picture book, which debuts on April 19th, and Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature comes out on July 1st, and it is truly a labor of love. I hope you'll pre-order, order, and join me on tour as I go across the country. You can find out more at zibbyowens.com or bookendsmemoir.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens because I always post about everything. Enjoy the show. Delia Ephron is the author of Left on Tenth, A Second Chance at Life, a memoir. Delia is a best-selling author, screenwriter, essayist, and playwright. Her novels include the New York Times bestseller Syracuse, and The Lion Is In. She has written books of essays, Sister, Mother, Husband, Dog, etc., books of humor, How to Eat Like a Child, and books for children and young adults. Her movie credits include You've Got Mail, The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, This Is My Life, Michael, and Hanging Up, based on her novel. Her play, Love, Loss, and What I Wore, written with her sister Nora Ephron, based on the book by Eileen Beckerman, ran for two years off-Broadway, and has been performed internationally. By the way, I went and saw that with my mom a long time ago. It was really good. Welcome, Delia. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss your beautiful memoir, Left on 10th, A Second Chance at Life. And love and hope.
3: <laughs> I love this cover. I love, I love the book jacket. It is very, very lovely.
0: Delia, this memoir is amazing. It's a combination of emails and letters and articles and your life story of losing your husband, falling in love again, and your own illness and getting through that. And it's funny and raw and open and just awesome. Why did you decide to write this memoir? Like,
3: why, why do it? After I got well, I mean, let us just say I survived leukemia Uh, AML, which is a fierce leukemia, I had a stem cell transplant, which is also known as a bone marrow transplant. And I was so completely sick and so debilitated. I mean, I couldn't walk. I I was in a wheelchair and it took me a, a year to come back and to know that I would stay alive. And I didn't think I would ever write again it was such a debilitating well i mean you can read about it it was it was quite a, an ordeal and i had a good writing life you know so i thought oh okay but um writing is a calling and it is the place where i've always been happiest and then then just one day i started collaborating with a friend in the building who's a composer to do a musical based on my book the line is in and then the next thing i knew you know my writing heart was beating again and and then we had we had covid and, and and that is not the reason i wrote it but it certainly was a great isolation time for for you know having this to do but i realized then because then it was 2 years post transplant and in fact i went in to see the doctor and he said on in february 2020 he said okay It worked. You're no more likely to get leukemia now than I am. And I've never had it. And and I practically danced out of that place. And and then in March, that was February in March, the whole world shut down. But I realized, I mean, life had given me an amazing story. With everything, I'm a dramatist. So with everything that I could possibly want and also enormous eccentricities, the kind of things I love, like the fact that I met Peter because my internet crashed trying to disconnect (laughs) my late husband's landline. I mean, that is so perfect for my writer, for me as a writer. So I, I had a friend, a young filmmaker, she collected everything in my computer that I had written from the time that Jerry had died. And she got all my emails. And I mean, she did here, here, let me show you. She gave me six loose leaf binders. Oh my gosh. Gigantic in chronological order, all everything printed out. And I began to work from that, but there were things I didn't know, especially when I was sick. I didn't know them because I didn't remember them because I was too, you know, fragile in the hospital to know. I mean, when my friend Mara said to me, well, you were in the ICU, I said, when? I had no idea. So doing the book was kind of a treasure hunt for all these things that now that I had the safety of being healthy, I could hear and appreciate in a different way. And All my friends told me things I simply could not believe. I I love my my friend, Gail Monaco, who 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 lived in the building then. You know, I when I found out I was I had my leukemia was back and then I really just either had this bone marrow transplant or I would die and I had very low odds. And I came home that day and I just, you know, roped her up in the, the, I met her in the lobby. I said, I need you, you know, please come up. She'd never even been in my apartment. This poor (laughs) woman. She's (laughs) a therapist. And I, you know, I was like rounding up my warriors, you know, who I needed to go on this journey. And she told me that when I, that I was, she said I had absolute undefended terror. She said the terror was so powerful in the room that she just felt sucked right into it. And so, You know, from the safety of being well, that was a powerful, dramatic element. I mean, the book has so much drama; it's a it's a festival of drama. (laughs) And um, so that's you know, I began to really also. I sent for my hospital records, which I had. I was in the hospital 100 days, so I had six thousand pages of hospital records. Oh my gosh! I didn't. I never. I did not get through them. I mean, I I stopped at about page four thousand and twenty.
0: Wow. The funniest part, I mean, I can't even say that it's fun. I mean, it feels. Well,
3: it is funny. Say. It's, it's funny. But- funny. <laughs> it's a funny book. It's sad, but it's I
0: also know. funny. When they were trying to get you the MRI around the time of the ICU stay and you were cursing at the people and you wouldn't let them put
3: put you in the machine. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I mean, Mira said it was the most upsetting thing she'd ever experienced. And I mean, certainly in that. She's experienced worse things, I think, in other times and parts of her life. But in my life, you know, she just she could not believe it. And Peter came in and just took charge and put a black. I mean, I'd ripped my clothes off. You know, he he covered me up. And she said it was so moving. And then, you know, and I mean, you know, I was sort of horrified by it. I was thrilled by it because I got to put it in the book because it was, you know, (laughs) kind of an amazing thing. And it was the truth. It's what happens, you know. You have to tell the truth if you're going to write your stories, and and that was what happened. So, but also, I, I'm a, I'm not someone who does go around swearing at people, and I was kind of excited from a safe place of health to hear <laughs> that I'd act out a little bit because <laughs> boy, they boss they boss you around a lot in the hospital, you know.
0: Oh my gosh, well, I like how you know they. We're reminding you, like, you are not your sister. But yet, how can you not be worried when you get the same, when you get a disease and you just lost, like your best friend and sister, and now you have the same thing? How can you not go to such a dark place? And I loved how you wrote about dealing with depression, about your diagnosis and going through everything. And just tell me a little bit more about that.
3: Well, you know, I'd grown up trying to do everything Nora did because she was just my, she left four of us. I want to say with are four sisters and I, Nora was the firstborn. I'm then me and then Hallie and then Amy and all four of us are writers. And, but Nora and I were very, we close growing up. I mean, I just tried to do everything she did, but she was going around the track so fast I couldn't keep up. But part of writing is, I mean, your writing is your fingerprint. No one else sees what you see or understands what you do but because she was my sister and I tried to be like her and then had to learn how not to be like her but then we collaborated because our our uh, you know our talents were so mutually she could do things I could not I could do things she couldn't do. but but the voice m- melded really beautifully so I mean there was a lot of uh, I don't know where you know she ends and i begin in my life and the doctors both doctors um, my friend john who's a doctor and my leukemia doctor dr robos both independently said to me they'd not discuss it with each other they just said you're not your sister they knew that that i had to believe that and the reason what they meant really was simply under a microscope my leukemia was not the same as her leukemia. It had the same name, but it was not. Its characteristics were different and therefore I could have a different outcome. But they knew psychologically also how important that was to me. And yet it felt like betrayal. I felt like I was betraying my sister. Mm-hmm. So it was a very difficult, it was a difficult thing to handle. It was ha- I mean, everything about it was difficult, that's for sure. But that was another element and that we were very different. we were different kinds of patients too i mean the, the differences between us were so clear when we got sick I know you
0: also made the decision and I could not believe that your byline was not on the article that you wrote about it, but you were I mean, that insane. I was like, this can't be right. As I'm reading, it. I'm like, no, she just didn't see it or something. But anyway, you decide to come, you know, go
3: public. Well, we, with, we can just explain that, which is that when yeah, I had leukemia in the New York Times, because I had kept it a secret till I went into remission the first time. And I kept it a secret because I had to protect my hope, but it didn't suit me. It it, mm-hmm. it was very difficult. I never felt honest when I was with girlfriends at dinner, you know, it just wasn't. And so I announced this, I wrote this piece in the Times. So it was very, I worked really hard on that piece. And I sent it to everyone I knew the night before. So they got it from me. You know, this is gonna run tomorrow. I just want you to know that. And it was a way to get my story out in a way that I could as much as I could control it, I could control the information. Everybody got the same information. And, and then I opened the, and then, and then the morning it's in the newspaper and I'm someone who reads the newspaper. I do too. In the oh, you do. Yeah, yes. I, do. I like that feeling. I, I get a call in the morning from John, my, my doctor friend. And he says, did you leave your name off on purpose? And I said, what? And lo and behold, they have left my byline off the piece in the printed paper. The most personal piece I've ever written in my life. And, you know, and and my editor, she said something like that. She was mortified. But she said, uh, well, you know, most people read, you know, the online thing. But, you know, it was, I mean, (laughs) I mean, I was in remission. So I thought, OK, you're not you know you're in remission that be thankful for that you know what i mean it I, I tried to control my feelings about it but i mean do you believe that that was just unreal i've written so many, i had written at that point 10 or at least 10 or more pieces for the new york times op-ed page they had never done that before did they do a correction like how did they handle that they what? did I, they, I didn't see it but somebody said to me that he saw the correction Unbelievable. I mean, someone in my lobby said to me, that, what does a girl have to do to get a Bible?
0: said. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, so how, once you got it out, eventually, what was the reception of it? Like, was it what, aside from the fact that it was hilarious, what ended up happening? And oh my gosh, I can't believe it. But putting it out there in the world, getting feedback, having kept the secret for your sister, Nora, for all those years and having that weigh on you. And now you come yeah. forward. Like, tell me what that feeling was like when people all of a sudden started responding because then you have to deal with their responses to it also, right? And that can was, be a lot. It was
3: like a jackpot hit. It just was magical. I mean, but I didn't, I mean, aside from the wonderful notes I got from all my friends that I sent it to and business people, anybody that I was connected to, the there resp- was, I mean, it was the number one most emailed and at the times and i got so many comments and and one of the wonderful things about them is that they understood it was a love story that it was about love and they were so happy that i'd fallen in love again and they they focused more on that even and and that made me feel that i had really accomplished what i wanted to accomplish with that piece wait, let's talk about your relationship with Peter, which is
0: amazing. My favorite is when he finally came to town after all your back and forth banter and and he said to him right away, like, we're not getting married this weekend.
3: (laughs) the other day because we we were talking about that on an interview and he said, because we were sitting at dinner and we were both fairly tongue tied, having poured our hearts out for, for a month to each other on the phone without even setting eyes on each other. We were sort of sitting there and... I said, we're not getting married this weekend. And he started laughing. And he told me last week that that was, he was just thinking, sitting at the table, thinking we could get married this weekend. At the moment that I said that to him, he said that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very intuitive. And, uh, but I was just cracking the ice, but he said, <laughs> it, it was like I'd seen right into his heart.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, so funny. Wait. I think you're beyond very intuitive. I mean, the coincidences uh, that happen yeah. that you write about in the book, I mean, you're you're like clairvoyant. You have some sort of, I mean, tell tell the story of what happened when you like dreamt about uh, you've dreamt about characters in a book in a setting, and then it all came true. I mean, it was giving me chills reading about that it. That was
3: yeah. When Jerry and Nora were were sick, and I, I was thinking, you know, how can I get through this? I'm, I'm just it was so difficult. And I thought. And I went to sleep that night and I had this dream about three women and a lion in a bar in North Carolina. Now, I I never been in a bar. I've never been in North Carolina at all, ever. And I knew it was a premise for a novel. And I I knew what the title was. I woke up with the title, The Lion is in. And I, I started to write it the next day. And I've never, that's never happened to me before. And it was this very magical book to write. It, it was very joyful for me. And, and I never went to North Carolina. I sort of picked an area that my, that one of my best friends knew about. Dean had told me she'd done some research there, it was north of Rocky Mount. And after I finished the book, you know, all my writer girlfriends are saying you cannot write a book about a place you've never been. So you better go there. So I I've now have a draft. My niece Anna and I got on a plane. We go, we fly down to Raleigh and we drive and we begin to explore that area just to see, you know. Now every morning we would just put in the GPS take back roads. So we had no plan at all. And we're driving around a curve and In my book, there is a very specific tree that the older woman wants to dig up and bring back to the lion. And it's, it's looks like it's been struck by lightning. It has no brand, no foliage. It's just sort of sheared off and it's alone in a field. And we take a curve in a back road and there in a field is the tree. Anna was driving. I screamed. She was so terrified. And we pulled over. I said, I said, it's a tree. She didn't even know. She never read the book. (laughs) It's a tree, tree, you know, and we pull over and we get out and we're just standing there staring at this thing that I have thought I had conjured out of my imagination and somehow found it. And, and I think it was, you know, it was such a stunning moment that I, I didn't know what to do with it. You know, I mean, I believe now because of that and because Another very strange thing happened on this trip. I, I wanted to go inside uh, someone's house because I wanted to see where my my male character, Clayton, where he might live. And Clayton had the, the bar, the lion, and a vintage Chevy Valor convertible. And those were his main things. And we answered an ad on the wall of a Mexican restaurant for a woman who makes sweet rolls. Because, And I thought, well, oh, we'll go there. We'll get some sweet rolls and we'll see what her house looks like, you know. We go in, we're chatting with her, we buy some sweet rolls. Her husband comes home, we chat with him, we leave. And he was driving a vintage Chevy Baylor convertible, which was parked in front of the house, exactly as I described it. The top was down. It was a gorgeous car, but it was. And and all I've been able to figure from this, because, you know, I I just think that there are things in life that we don't understand, that science can't explain, You know, I don't think necessarily religion explains it. I think it's something that we've created for because we need religion. And I I don't have a not a religious person, but I'm something, you know, I believe in the power of the world to shape your life. And so those things had happened before I met I met Peter. And so, yes, I think I do have some sort of. I think my sister Amy has it, too. She's talked about it a little bit. But I truly that that incident was so crazy that even when I talk about it, I don't think people understand what that was like to just turn that corner and see that tree. I mean, it was really freaky. So, you know, I'm not somebody that that Googles very much. I mean, I Google like everybody, I Googled Peter the minute he wrote me (laughs) hours Googling him. But when I got sick, it wasn't, it's not my way to do that. And I think when you get sick, you just do things, you have to just do things the way you do them. And because that's who you are, there's no right way to be sick. And if you're going to Google, if you need to talk to a million doctors, if you need to do that, you will do that and it will help you. And if you're like me and you just need to, you know, find a doc. I had a doctor that I knew was great. I just, you know, Peter said to me, doc- this is Dr. Gail Robos at Well Cornell. He said to me, we're on the Robos train. And she goes wherever we tell her. We tell her. She tells us to go. And she told me to go have this bone marrow transplant. And that, uh, she, you know, she said, you're not a statistic. So, right. You're not. Oh, my gosh.
2: So I I did what she told me. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
1: Nice dress. Uh, It's a it's a T-shirt.
2: Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care.
1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: Wow. I mean, you've been through so much. I mean, you you and Peter collectively, your stories, even like the loss of his mother, the accident he got had to witness as a child, like all these losses and your spouses and yet here you are, right? Starting fresh with all sorts of hope and love and like the the innocence of like a childhood crush, and now you're you know in this mad love affair, and even it sustains you. Like and even when you got sick, and he was like,
3: "We're you know we're gonna we're gonna get through this. It's gonna be okay." Yeah, I know. He was so I keep saying to him, "How did he?" say, "I don't know." He said, "I just thought, you know, we'll get through it." And and he gave me this lovely little valentine that we put on the wall, which was a couple going through a tunnel of love. It was like in the 1920s, you know, and he said, well, we're going to go through the tunnel and we're going to, you know, come out stronger. And, you know, we put it on the wall in the hospital. And I, in fact, I don't know where it is now. I realize. I think I've oh, it. no. <laughs> That's just like me. I can't <laughs> tell you how like me that is. Have to. It's like printing Well, you know. Office. Also, when you you're moving hospital rooms, and I don't think it made it. I don't know if it made it home. It certainly made it into the into the Ten West where I had my bone marrow transplant. It was on the wall there
0: wow. every day. But how do you now sort of move forward one step or another? I mean, as you mentioned, like you finish your book right before the pandemic hits, and even at the beginning of this book, I was thinking like, oh my gosh, after
3: this, after no, finished. I started the book at the beginning of the pandemic.
0: Right. Right. No, no, no. But it ends. The narrative ends. Oh, yes, it does. That's correct. Yeah, it does. And the reader knows what's coming next for you, even though you don't tell it, which is even (laughs) more powerful. Like you could have been like, and then, you know, but but we all know like March of 2020. Oh my gosh. And now here we are, right? at. I mean, I don't not the end, but at some new stage, like how do you go forward in the world and make sense of all of this? And like, like, just what do you, do you, like what? Where where are you emotionally at this point in your life? And like, after all of this, what meaning are you finding in it all? I know that's
3: kind of a big question, but. I Yeah, I don't, it's a hard question, actually. I mean, one of the reasons I ended it at COVID was that this that was when my story, you know, my story became everybody's story at that moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. COVID is a shared experience and it's transformed us in so many ways that I, you know, I don't, and it's transformed us differently at different ages. I mean, I'm, I'm so, um, my nieces are, you know, they're raising little children now and their life seems so difficult to me and trying to figure everything else out. You know, I mean, it was so hard to be in my twenties and thirties and figuring it all out. You know, how could I have the career I wanted? How, why did I marry this? My first husband was I just married him because he asked me, you know, I didn't even realize in my twenties that you could have a wife. So if I had been in my twenties and this had happened too, I don't know how I would have found my way. Uh, So I think it's a very difficult time we're living in. You know, I'm lucky I have a home I really love on 10th street and I have had a fantastically lovely career. I mean, I've made my living by my imagination, which has been a great joy. And so, and I've had, you know, I've had great love. I mean, so I feel that I've really been blessed, but I find this a very difficult thing. I find this thing of putting on masks and being, I'm not a careful person. I think it, you know, I mean, Peter and I in the beginning of the pandemic, we walked down the street and he would just like yank me suddenly because I, of course, was involved with something I was looking at, you know, and walking into a person without a mask, you know, I mean, he, New York is a happening place and, it's it's struggling now because it's it, everyone wants to do things and it isn't as safe as it was. So it's very. I think everyone's just having a rough time trying to trying not to be depressed, trying to you know be positive, trying to figure it all out. That's true. My, my I a kid in that house with my parents trapped, with my parents when they were so difficult and drinking all the time. God knows. Really? God knows.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you said that about Peter grabbing you on the sidewalk because my husband, Kyle, does that to me all the time. I'm constantly like engaged in wh- something else, like what I'm thinking or what I'm doing or something. And I'm, and he's like, literally has to like steer me away. He's like, I don't understand what you did without me. He's my second husband, like especially <laughs> in the airports. And I also don't think I hear people. I don't know what it is. I can't tell when people are close to me, you know? So like, I'll be like, I'll just like randomly like almost bump into someone or turn with like a waiter with a tray of stuff and he's like No,
3: no, no, I'm exactly the same way. I mean we all do navigate the world differently. Yeah.
0: I was I know. I was like somebody told me that, oh, I think my son has that. I was like, has it? It's a thing? Like, what do you mean? I'm like, like, has what? I just
3: (laughs) that is so funny.
0: Yeah. I think it, it goes back to like some test I took where it said I was. You know
3: what was the word? I can't yeah, remember. It, what they said. The word is Im- imaginative. That's what the word is. Thank you. I was going to say impaired. Yeah.
0: I think they told me I was impaired when it came to spatial relations. Well,
3: they're not. They're
2: imaginative. <laughs> you have oh things. Happening.
3: Um, yeah, yeah. There's like too many inputs, right? There's. Yeah, like, that's curious. Just... Imaginative. That's what it is. Oh, thank you. I like the positive, yeah. positive. <laughs> <spin on that. laughs>
0: <laughs> well uh maybe we'll bump into it's each definitely other definitely a thing it's definitely a thing oh good i'm glad i'm not alone <laughs> oh my gosh what are you hoping the most the book is coming out very soon like what are you hoping the most having this out in the world what would make you feel like okay that's i, I mean it.
3: i hope it i hope everybody buys it i hope it sells <laughs> you know? that's what you always want with the book i hope people read it and laugh and cry that's what i hope Wow. Well, you've been through so
0: much and we didn't even like touch on your amazing career because there was just so much in this particular book. But as you said, you know, I jumped on the chance to to talk to you because I've been a fan of yours for so long and I just knew it would be good. I like couldn't wait. And uh, of course it was. And it's so
3: funny. The
0: title is left on 10, 10, the second chance of life. So everybody please go pick up this book. It is beautiful and wonderful and inspiring. And, you know, again, I I hate saying funny when there are sad things, but on the other hand, that's what gets us through the sad and the hard is finding the humor in all of it.
3: So
2: Mm.
0: anyway, so anyway, thank you. Thank you for coming Thank on. you
3: very much. It was an absolute joy to talk to you.
0: Oh, thank you. All right. Well, I hope I'll, I hope I bump into you.
3: <laughs> you yeah, too. Okay. All right. On purpose, not by accident.
0: Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.